On the scale of cross to empty tomb, where do you like to stand? It's a silly question, I know. We know that we cannot have one without the other. The cross is incomplete without the empty tomb. Easter has no power without Good Friday. But today's gospel lesson, the crucifixion of Jesus, which we hear not on Good Friday, but on the Sunday when we gather to celebrate the kingship of Christ, that lesson asks us to consider more deeply where on that spectrum we look for salvation. Sometimes Christians focus so much on the cross that we obscure the significance of Easter. Preachers, poets, and especially hymn writers, commemorate the sacrifice of Christ with such enthusiastic and bloody detail that the glory of the resurrection feels more like a denouement. In pulpits where that approach is often used, Jesus' death is usually described with transactional language as the means by which the price for our sins was paid. But when Christians always talk about the cross as if it is where Jesus took our place, we might wonder why we even bother celebrating Easter. But other Christians, including many preachers from our own tradition, prefer to more or less skip over the cross and rush to embrace the victory of the empty tomb. In part, that's because that transactional approach leaves us with a depiction of God that is nearly impossible to reconcile with the rest of what we believe about God. For example, if God's wrath can only be satisfied when taken out on the innocent sacrifice of God's own Son, where are we supposed to look to find the God who loves us and calls us God's own children? Honestly, the cross raises lots of questions that are difficult, if not impossible, to answer. But when we skip over the cross, because we don't really know how to make sense of it, Easter becomes a victory over what? A historical bump on the road to salvation? It won't surprise you, I hope, that I don't have the answers to those difficult questions. But I do think that today's gospel lesson gives us some important insights into how we can begin to see the crucifixion as the place where Jesus' kingship becomes most clear. Luke describes this scene as one in which the one who is killed by the powers of this world is also the one who manifests God's power right back to them. And hearing this story not on Good Friday, but at the end of the church's year, on the Sunday before Advent, it gives us the chance to think about the cross as both the culmination of Jesus' earthly ministry, but also the lens through which we anticipate the coming reign of God. Jesus himself helps us hear that in the first word that he speaks from the cross. Father. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing, Jesus said, invoking God with the same intimacy that he had used throughout his ministry. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, Jesus said in Luke 10. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, Jesus taught us in Luke 11. 
Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said in Luke 12. Whenever we call God Father, we are emphasizing the closeness, the oneness, the intimacy that we experience with our Creator, the same intimacy that Jesus himself experienced with God. And to use that word from the cross reveals that even in Jesus' death, Jesus affirms that he still belongs to God. We often think of the cross as the manifestation of humanity's refusal to accept God's will, yet Jesus speaks from the cross in a way that affirms its centrality to God's salvific plan. That defies logic, and yet at the same time becomes an answer for an anchor for our faith, because the cross embodies both. As Jesus conveys his continuity with God, he shows us that not even his own execution can thwart God's work of salvation being carried out in him and his ministry. So the tragedy of Good Friday cannot be an empty accident or an unredeemable mistake. Instead, it's the place in which we hear and see God's saving love coming into focus. Luke helps us understand that by recalling not only how Jesus called God Father, but also how he offered words of forgiveness and salvation even in the midst of his suffering. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Similarly, Luke is the only gospel writer to remember how Jesus promised to that criminal who hanged next to him that this day you will be with me in paradise. Jesus shows us that the salvific work of God is not only accomplished through the cross, but is also proclaimed upon it. It is not only Jesus' death that saves us. It is also his love for us, generously offered despite his suffering. And that means we don't have to wait until Jesus breathes his last to see God's work of salvation being carried out even upon the cross. But to see that work taking place, not only in Jesus' death, but also in his suffering, we must allow our understanding of what salvation looks like to change. The leaders scoff at the one who would be called Messiah. The soldiers mock the one who would be called king. That first criminal derides him as the one who is powerless to save himself. And yet we must see in that same crucified one the fullness of God's power, the fullness of God's reign, and the fullness of God's perfect plan coming together for our sakes. We know that Easter confirms those things for us, but we need help seeing that they are just as true upon the cross as they are in the empty tomb. I think we need help because that scares us. The cross of Christ always makes us uncomfortable because we know that if it says something significant about who God is and how God's salvation comes into the world, it must also become operative for us 
in the very same way. I don't know about you, but I don't want to suffer like that. I want my faith to save me from suffering. But that's not what it means to be a Christian. Instead, what it means to believe in Jesus is to believe, as St. Paul writes in this reading from Colossians, that the one who was crucified for our sake makes us strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power. And why? So that we may be prepared to endure everything with patience. In Christ, we do not escape hardship. We are given the power to endure it. It's a lot easier to look at the cross of Christ and see the antithesis of God's will than it is to behold within it God's perfect love. It's a lot easier to reject the crucified one as the one who has failed to accomplish God's plan than to see in him the fulfillment of it. It's a lot easier to skip ahead to the joy of Easter than it is to linger in the shadow of the cross. But those who know real suffering in this life know that the power of God is not manifest in the absence of hardship, but right at its very center. They know what it means to look upon the one who hangs upon the cross and see right there the hope that is God's arm stretched out in love. Those who endure the cross in this life know that Easter is more than a happy ending to the story, just as they know that Good Friday is more than some transactional exchange. We come to the cross in order to see something more than our debts being paid. We come seeking more than a brief setback on a road that we know will lead to Easter, we come to behold the one who suffered in order to redeem our suffering. We come to be near to the one whose struggle gives strength to our struggle. We come to worship even the King of Kings, whose glorious reign comes not on a heavenly throne, but on the hard wood of the cross. To that King, be glory, honor, and power now and forever. Amen.